Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Fools for Christ with Kimmy Zeiler and Dan Boyd, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Dan Boyd. I'm Kimmy Zeiler. St. Ignatius of Loyola said, Out of gratitude and love for him, Jesus Christ, we should desire to be reckoned fools. We're seeking to discover Christ in everything, from the banal to the sublime, and this is Fools Fools for for Christ. Christ. So, welcome back, everybody. We had a short break for the July 4th holiday weekend. We hope you had a great festivist day celebrating the independence of our great country and prayed for its success. Today, we are actually talking about the joy of the gospel in our country, the joy (laughs) of the gospel in America. So. This was actually a convocation or a conference that Kimmy just went to. Yeah. Uh, so Kimmy, can you I don't know, give us a little introduction to what this was about? Yes. So um, five years in the making. This was the it's called the Convocation of Catholic Leaders. It's a unprecedented gathering <laughs> of uh, Catholic leaders from around the nation. Normally, the USCCB bishops meet for their conference, and they. Uh, they have some talks, they talk to each other. This was a conference where they brought in a bunch of laity into that conversation as well. Um, so other ordained, uh, so the deacons were there as well, priests were there, uh, religious men and women, but also the, the, the laity. Yeah. Um, and so it was a conference where, um, I keep saying conference, but it was a convocation you had to be invited by a bishop okay. in order to attend. Um, I was humbled and gracious to be able to attend this. And because it was here in Orlando, we had a large delegation. Yeah. We had about 100 from our diocese there. Um, w- whether they were with our delegation or they're with an organization. Um, so it, essentially... Um, it was a gathering for the bishops to listen to um, those who are on the front lines of ministry okay. and hearing where we are with living the joy of the gospel in America and what the next steps need to be. And so it was them leading us. It was all of our sessions were had a bishop involved. Um, at least one. Most of them had multiple. <laughs> there were a lot of bishops there. <laughs> and then um, and then they had key leaders who had the best practices okay. about that particular subject who were also sharing, either sharing their witness or sharing their ideas of, of how this could be done. Do you know how those leaders were identified? You know, I don't. But okay. I did. Um, I was very impressed with, with who was speaking. Um, I know on the first one <clears throat> of just understanding the landscape, it was, it was people who, um, I felt like they were the definitive resource okay. <laughs> on that particular gotcha. area. Is it top secret or are you allowed to give an example? Oh yeah, I okay. can. I just, I would have to look it up. There have been so many people. Um, so, well, I mean, in the first session, uh, the witness was by, um, goodness, I forget his name, but he's with the, the Theology of the Body Institute. Okay. 
And so he and his wife, they work with Christopher West, but he and his wife gave a beautiful witness on how the healing of um, their understanding of human sexuality changed their outlook, changed their faith, deepened their, their view of the church, and encouraged them to become evangelizers. Wow. And so, you know, but it was, it was things like that. Um, it's funny you say that because actually just the other day, I, I overheard someone acting as if, uh, almost as if theology of the body was a little passe. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's great to hear someone bring this up as like a reminder. This is one of the, one of those quintessential battlegrounds for the church and, or maybe not a battleground, but um, an area of, of lowest hanging fruit. I mean, we can so easily share this beautiful aspect of the gospel to help evangelize our culture. And it is so, so effective because, I mean, just speaking with theology of the body here, it's, to me, in my experience and looking at how other people have experienced it, it's almost self-evidently true. When you're presented with the teaching of John Paul II, it clicks and you just get it. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And now my life is so much richer and happier as a result of it. Yes. Yes, amen. Um, so, like, um, Ospino, Dr. Ospino. Oh, from, okay, gotcha, yeah. He was the keynote speaker, and then um, there were panelists. Okay. So it would start out with a bishop giving an opening remark, and then it would go to a group of panelists who were, like, the experts in a particular area of that subject. Um, so it was, like, Helen Navarre and... Um, Father Agustina Torres, Sister Miriam James, Curtis Martin. Okay. Those kind of people were the gotcha. experts yeah. of a particular area. Um, and then with best practices. And then we would engage in a discussion with them through texts. So we would text in our questions and then they would answer them. And then That's fun. <laughs> it would end with... Um, a witness. Okay. It would either begin with a witness or end with a witness. Okay, gotcha. Um, so the keynote was either at the beginning or the end. I see. And those are how the main sessions went. Okay. For those of you listening who aren't familiar with Dr. Hoffman Espino, I got to, I came in contact with him. I don't, I don't really, can't really say I know him all that well, but I came in contact with him at Boston College. And the first year I got there, he actually went on sabbatical, I believe, because he was given a massive grant to study the reality of the the Catholic experience in the United States mm -hmm. for Latino people. So with, mm -hmm. uh, whether they're their first, second, third generation Americans or immigrants, uh, just recognizing that's, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, they make up the largest percentage of the church in the United States. Uh, so to, to act as if they're not anything other than the majority and, and the, what should be the focus of, mm -hmm. Uh, of a lot of our efforts would be to miss the whole point. Yeah. Um, well, here in our diocese, um, in terms of youth ministry, Hispanic Catholics make up sixty percent. Okay. So we're, we are talking about a majority. Yeah, there. absolutely. <laughs> wow. I didn't realize it was you know, such a, a clear majority. But yeah. Just a good yeah. reminder for us all to become bilingual, so we can share the gospel <laughs> more effectively. Um, just like you, Dan. <laughs> so is it, I'll, I'll try to put it in my own words. Tell me if this makes sense. Uh, the point of this convocation or the goal of this convocation was to, uh, to share based on several years of research and planning to share with the greater church, especially our shepherds 
the areas of greatest need. I mean, these frontiers where the church really needs to to put her energy and her efforts and her brain power and lots, just lots of resources if we want to be successfully evangelizing for the next hundred years mm-hmm. and for the entire future. Is that like a fair assessment? That was, yes, that's part of it. And then the other part is um, them listening to those conversations right. and our responses to those ideas okay. and the best practices that were brought forward. Okay. So it was hearing from, uh, you know, when we went into a breakout session, it was a very similar structure where they would, the panel would start out by talking about their particular area. So there was probably one on Hispanic right. Catholics, a breakout session just on that, that group. And so there were panelists dealing with, uh, maybe one dealing with youth ministry, one dealing with adult ministry, one with, um, a specific, you know, uh, different cultures. Yeah. Um, whether it was Latino, you know, so, um, immigrant issues, you know, but it would be different panelists focusing in on the different aspects of the broader breakout session. Okay. Right. And so they would share what they do and why it's important. They would answer a few questions led by a moderator and then it would be open for us, those sitting in on the panel, participating to ask questions of the panel. Okay. And then we brought that into small groups and discussed particular aspects and then shared that again. Okay. So it was very much a dialogue. Yeah. This was, it wasn't a lecture. It was, okay. It was a conversation. And it was designed to be a conversation, yeah. which is why they call it a convocation, not a um, conference. Uh, to, so this is me, but this seems like I'm actually extremely excited about this. Yeah. Because in... So for those of you listening, and by the way, I'm kind of hearing about this for the first time. So Kimmy, <laughs> this, this was just this weekend. Yeah. I was actually, I took a group of students to a Steubenville Youth Conference and had a blast of a weekend, but was paying no attention to anything going on a mile down the road at the Bishop's Convocation. Uh, because, I mean, my heart was being filled by the Lord and watching the good things he yeah. was doing. But to just to hear about this now, and the little bit I heard it had already had me excited. This is unprecedented in the church. So yeah. you, when you said that word at the beginning, you almost joked a little bit, probably because some people were yeah. using that, <laughs> overusing it. Um, but here's why this is so unprecedented in the, I would say, in the history of the church. Yeah. And that typically what will happen is, um, let's say a synod yes. or a meeting like that, they're almost... They seem very frequently to be post hoc or after, like after the fact. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure that's not entirely true, and a lot of times it seems to be driven by the the brass, so to speak, the leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one was driven by the boots on the ground, like the mm-hmm. people who have the greatest experience with, like these are the needs, these are the areas that are bearing fruit, uh, and for just for this conversation to be taking place. And I'm I'm probably not even capturing. I know I'm not capturing my own excitement. I may have misspoke there a little bit, not to say that, that prior synods weren't driven by like the actual needs of the church. Right, right. Um, but I mean, this is, for instance, uh, it'd be like a little bit like going into a hospital and uh, rather than asking like the management, okay, what do you think your patients need? Going to the, to the nurses and saying, mm-hmm. what do the patients need? Like, what's the most important thing? Which is tedious and it takes a lot of work because there are far more nurses than there are CEOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and the CEOs have great ideas on, on how to manage things, but nurses and, and like immediate caregivers have such a clear picture of, of the wounds of the church and the wounds of society and how yeah. we really need to deal with it. So, and I love that, um, analogy because we always talk about the church as a field hospital and what, the reality that we're in in ministry right now is, it's not even that we're dealing with the hospital, we're in triage. Yeah. You know, and so we're dealing with the deepest wounds, the greatest needs and sufferings first, and then um, trying to get them home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so that's very much the situation in ministry right now is is where, um, if you think of match, <laughs> like we're the ones that are at that army base. Yeah. Dealing with these severe, crazy experiences and trying to just get them home. Yeah. You know? And that. Um... I don't think this is an, an unfair uh, observation of the way the the church has functioned, but because it's so big, in the past it hasn't always been agile at responding to different needs. So even um, the one of the great historians of our time, uh, Father O'Malley, I believe, who's a Jesuit professor at, at Georgetown, um, pointed out the how um, really the the first Vatican Council was a hundred-year delayed response to modernism, and then mm-hmm. the second Vatican Council was kind of a follow-up on that. The first thing they did was close the the first Vatican Council, and uh, and then it was a response to the issues of the modern world. Um, but many critics said this is too late already, mm-hmm. and so to me, this convocation is getting ahead of, or attempting to to get ahead and say, all right, what are the issues that we we need to look at right now mm-hmm. so that we don't look back a hundred years from now as a much smaller, poorer church and say, wow, it would have been nice to figure these things out a long time yeah. ago. Um, yes, amen. So this yeah. is preventative care as opposed to, <laughs> yeah, um, in addition to the triaging. Yeah, um, yeah. So what were the uh, kind of the major delineations of this of the convocation? Like, how did they break it up? So, as I mentioned before, there were the larger sessions. They called them plenary okay. sessions. I'm, I wasn't used to that word, but... <laughs> it was a good Catholic word. <laughs> and then um, and then we went into breakouts. And so, um, the first plenary session was just about understanding the landscape of our church today. Understanding who makes up the church, uh, where the the mission is okay. of the church, what needs more attention. Um, and then next was on the radical call to missionary discipleship. And so uh, we were actually able to define um, discipleship and what it means to evangelize, okay. which I was so grateful for. Because yeah. we were throwing around the word discipleship a lot the first like day and a half. Yeah. And then finally a bishop got up there and like defined it for us. Perfect. And I was like, praise God, (laughs) because that word is used so frequently, but we don't understand what it actually means very frequently. Yeah. And so actually, let me pull that out really quick. Perfect. Um, I was just actually about to ask you (laughs) thinking like what, so what definition can we use? What's a, uh, a practical and approved definition if a bishop gave it? Yeah. Well, um, it was Cardinal Whirl and he gave five characteristics of evangelizers. And so he said, first is a boldness um, and a courageous heart. Okay. Uh, in order to evangelize, you need to be bold and courageous. It needs a connectedness to the church. Okay. So faithful to the magisterium, 
going back to the sacraments, um, it needs to be within the church. Uh, it requires a sense of urgency. So it's not like a, oh, this is needed, but we'll get to it yeah. in the future. Mm-hmm. This is a, you're called to do this right now. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is the now. This is in a when I'm ready mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, compassion. And that, for me, that is my favorite word of all time because it literally means suffering with. Yeah. Um, to be compassionate. So could you... And finally, joy. Okay. It needs joy. Gotcha. Um, backtracking a tiny bit to compassion. Yeah. Could you, either from your own experience or just kind of like thinking one up right now, uh, what's a scenario where that would be essential for a missionary evangelizer? Oh, just living life with someone. Okay. I think um, one of my greatest uh, evangelizing moments (laughs) where I actually got to see the fruits of what I was doing, um, it was a young woman who was in a difficult situation and... Uh, it wasn't handled well and I apologized to her and I entered into her suffering with her okay um, and just sat with her in that and the result of that conversation where she had come in to tell me how wrong I had been and what I had done to hurt her yeah <laughs> um, when she left instead she said can you teach me how to pray and so it's that sitting with the, in the suffering yeah um, and journeying with it really is at the heart of accompaniment. Mm-hmm. When you are walking with other people, you're joining with them in their suffering. It's true empathy rather than sympathy. Yeah. Well, so if, yeah, if you're not willing to walk with them at that most difficult point, why bother? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, everyone can be good to their friends. It takes, it takes love. It takes the, the grace of the Lord mm-hmm. to be good to like those who aren't, pleasant to be with at all times yeah um, and then love transforms that mm-hmm. uh, that's really cool yeah. so that was that was the, those were the five characteristics of evangelization yes okay yes and so I thought that was a, a good definition for what we were talking about when we were talking about discipleship because um, the other part of it was whenever we talked about discipleship in the breakout sessions what it ultimately ended with was well we need more mentors we need more people who are there who are willing to accompany, who are willing to do all those things, um, who can be models of it, but then who can also coach other people. So spiritual directors, yeah. mentors, guides, the big brothers and sisters. Right. So I mean, from at, I, I'm just imagining at every level, like from the, the parish level at the diocesan level. and. Yes. and campus ministries at high schools and colleges these are the people we need mm-hmm. uh, and I know just from previous conversations we've had mentors can't mentor very many people at one time no. can they Mm-mm. so that just I mean if we have if we have a hundred million Catholics in the country which is probably about what we have then we probably need a million mentors don't we <laughs> we do okay we're in dire need of mentors yeah so, and that, that was one of the key things that came out to me, that stuck out to me during the conference. Um, so after we talked about discipleship and understood that need, um, we went into um, the, ne- the next plenary session. So this is now we're on day three of the conference. Yeah. Um, going to the peripheries. So who are those people that are not being reached? And what do we need to do to get there? 
And so after each plenary session, there were breakouts. And so, um, for example, with the going to the peripheries, the breakouts were all around the different peripheries that exist. Okay. And so I ended up, I went to two <laughs> during that session. I started in one, realized it wasn't as applicable as I thought it would be for my ministry and ended up in another. Okay. Um, so I started with honoring our wisdom figures. Okay. Um, I do a lot at San Pedro for senior days, for road scholar, and I wanted to know how to best minister to those 50 and above, yeah. you know? Um, and it was, it was beautiful to understand that they really are the largest growing group of Catholics. If you really think about it. Yeah, I, no, I wouldn't have thought about it like that. But. <laughs> and how much they have to offer. They are fully catechized. Yeah. Willing to be of service to the church and how they're untapped. And so that gave me a lot of hope. Yeah. Um, and then the conversation started going more into nursing homes and um, hospice care. And so okay. I, I excused myself and I went into another one on um, the feminine genius. Um, and I had, a, I ended up in a great conversation with two men <laughs> in, a, in a small group part of that. Um, and it was the conversation geared towards, um, we're, I mean, we're not talking about making women priests as our popes have said that is off the table, yeah. but what we were talking about is how do we allow women to be a part of the decision-making of our church, okay. the higher level decision-making. Yeah. And so how do we see that at a parish level? All the way up to the Vatican. Yeah. And so um, we talked a lot about that and about how um, a feminine heart, it's, you know, I always like to quote um, Gertrude Wommefort. She said, she wrote in the 20s, <laughs> and uh, her book was published in the 40s. So she, it was a very key point, the key time for her. Um, she said, it's not about the woman's right to the working world, it's about the working world's right to mothers. And so it's not even about like us needing to be out there working. It's this is what the church needs. Yeah. The church <laughs> the church deserves to have both voices heard. Yeah. And so that it was more about um, understanding the fullness of the church and what what we need to do together. Yeah. I'm as a this is an imperfect analogy, but I just think of when I meet a student who is a great artist or a great musician, I will frequently use language like this with them to encourage them to, to share. And I'll say that the world needs the beauty that you can share with us. Only, like, only you can share this aspect of God's goodness in a particular way because that's the gift he gave you. Mm -hmm. And it would be a shame if we didn't, if not everybody got to experience that. Yeah. And I, I have the same feeling about the contribution of women in decision making in the church and that my life is deprived if I do not have that. Mm -hmm. uh, and the life of my friends and, and my country and the world is deprived if we do not have the, the genius and the insights, the spirituality of women in the church helping us understand how to spread the gospel more. Yeah. Amen. Um, so the last part was um, we talked then about how to equip evangelizers it was kind of a, that was for me, it was like the gung-ho, like, yes, let's get out there and do this type of session. It was fantastic. Um, it was, it really was an empowering session of looking at the reality of 
what it means to work for the church and recognizing um, as you get higher in any organization, you start to see the parts of it that are messy mm-hmm. and a little chaotic. Yeah. And it was recognizing the reality of that and how do we, sometimes we view the church as more, um, we don't think of it as an organization that should have the same business model as other organizations. And so very frequently decisions are made um, out of the charity of our heart, but that aren't good for the sake of the people, Right. (laughs) you know? Um, And so it was looking at situations like that and just calling us out for, um, like calling us out to pursue excellence and to, to really pursue the best practices and um, it, so it's just, it was really great. Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, <laughs> um, his, this one has to resonate with most people. Sometimes there are people who, who shouldn't canter at mass, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we don't like to hurt people's feelings and we don't want to tell them no. And we want to encourage them to share their gifts. Mm-hmm. So we, I think we go from one extreme to the other of, well, we'll take your, you know, we'll take your, uh, your service no matter where it is. Yeah. Might not be your gift. Um, so where that's a, that's really honest to so start looking at where are we just making bad decisions and yeah. the, the church is not a corporation and I'm sure they weren't saying no, that they but uh, there's still things we can learn from the study of of business and management and organization that apply regardless of whether it's a secular or a sacred institution. Yes. Um, yeah. I really wish we had time to talk about all of these, um, I hadn't, as you were going through, I just started writing down questions. I thought, oh, I want to ask this, I want to ask that. But perhaps those are things that we can talk about in the future shows. Yes. Um, uh, I do want to say the one last piece yeah. from the conference. So the last thing that we did, we had two and a half hours just with our diocesan delegation. Okay. And so this was on the schedule. It was called the goal setting breakout session. And so we had a room reserved for us and um, two of our delegation actually led the session. Our bishop was there, chancellor was there, and um, it was so good. <laughs> it was so good. This was definitely my high point of the convocation because it was all of us sitting together discussing what we had just heard and how it applies to our diocese. Yeah. What are the takeaways that we are bringing back? Um, and so we shared in small groups the personal things that we were taking away. And then we shared and wrote down our proposals for Bishop. Um, how do we move this forward in our diocese? And so it was the first discussion of many to come of how do we unfold the joy of the gospel in America, in Orlando? <laughs> um, how do we see this to fruition? Going out to the peripheries, becoming evangelizers, and creating disciples. Just the fact that you had about a hundred people in that group and it was still positive. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit moving. Cause to anybody who's ever been on a committee or a meeting, <laughs> goodness, I mean, you can have very, very unfruitful meetings mm-hmm. with far less than a hundred people. <laughs> so, I mean, the only thing that could save that would be the work of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, that's brilliant. So, all right. So future shows, we're going to be talking about, uh, all of these topics, understanding the landscape in the church, discipleship, going to the peripheries and who's there and how do we get there and then equipping evangelizers and then as it as it comes up and as the the diocese starts to move forward in these directions yeah we can talk about 
what's going on and how we can all be involved in that. Amen. So, well, cool. Thanks for sharing, Kimmy. Yeah, my pleasure. This has been a blessing for me. I'm so excited to be able to share. Awesome. Well, we are out of time for today. So thank you for joining us. We look forward to hanging out with you again next time on Fools for Christ. God bless everybody. (laughs) Bye. Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presented Fools for Christ with Kimmy Zeiler and Dan Boyd. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.